Hello, and welcome to Soothing Pods Sleep Stories. My name is Chris, and tonight I will be your guide as we embark on a journey to the stunning countryside of Japan. We will wind our way through misty mountains and vast valleys, lace through forests of bamboo, and meander along the rocky coast as we hear the legends of twelve ancient Japanese gods and goddesses. Before we begin our story, however, let us take a moment to unwind and find comfort in the place that we are in, here and now. Close your eyes and allow your body to sink into the mattress beneath you. Here and now, you have no obligations. There is no to-do list. By simply lying in bed and listening to the sound of my voice, you are already inching closer and closer towards relaxation. Turn your attention to the air and space around you, keeping your eyes closed. For a moment, try and imagine the feeling of sunshine on your skin. It is a warm summer day, and there's a gentle breeze brushing over your skin. On that sweet summer breeze, you can smell the vibrant, soothing aroma of wildflowers. Lilacs and lavender drifting from miles and miles away. You can smell the soil around you as it is slowly warmed by the sun after a rainy night and dewy morning. In that fragrance, you can taste the freshness of the nature around you. With every breath you take in, you feel more and more relaxed. As the breeze brushes over your body, a sense of calm washes over you. But then, the clouds begin to roll in. As they do, they block part of the sun, allowing it to concentrate on just one part of your body. As you breathe in deeply, you feel the sunlight peeking out from behind a cloud and kissing the skin on your face. With its warm rays, you feel any tension or heaviness that you've been carrying in your face, head, and neck melt away. Your eyes aren't clenched tight. They now relax, leaving you with less pressure there. The muscles around your face and jaw slack, and your tongue 
falls away from the roof of your mouth without any tension. Notice how much more at peace your body feels in this position. This position that the warmth of the sun has allowed you to feel. Then a breeze comes. You feel it brush over your arms, your torso, and your legs. With it, you smell that sweet aroma of wildflowers and earth, and the clouds above you shift. Now it is your torso and arms that are illuminated by the light of the sun. Once again, you feel the sun start to warm this area of your body. Concentrate for a moment on the sheer warmth and comfort that the sun is providing you with. The way it feels on your collarbones, your stomach, your arms, your hands, and ever so slowly, the sun allows the muscles there to relax even more. Your hands unfurl and lie comfortably on the mattress. They aren't in fists or in balls. They are completely and totally relaxed. Your arms, too, melt into the bed, carrying no more pressure in them. Your muscles do not need to be ready for anything right now. They can simply just be. But, perhaps, where you feel the grace of the sun the most is on your heart and your lungs. Turn your attention to your heartbeat. If it is beating a little bit faster than you would like, or perhaps, it feels a little heavy as it beats, carrying the unnecessary weight with it. Know that we can change that together. Focus on the warmth of the sun on your heart, warmth that radiates over to your lungs. As that warmth spreads across your chest, Feel how your breathing goes just a little bit deeper. These are not shallow breaths that are felt in your lungs. They are deep, wonderful breaths that you feel in your whole body. And as you continue to breathe in and breathe out, they grow slower and slower, and slower still. With the gradual slowing of your breath, your heart slows too. 
any tension and heaviness that you may have been feeling in your chest at the beginning of this is no more. You are left with a relaxed, calm body that is ready to travel to the beauty of rural Japan. But, little do you know, you're already there. You open your eyes and you find that your bed and your cozy mattress is in the center of a forest. And not just any forest, but a beautiful bamboo forest. Above you, you can see a perfect little square of blue. A window to the sky, as seen through the curtains of bamboo. The stalks are all around you, arcing up to the sky with such graceful, intentional lines that they almost look as though they could not be from this earth. In the gentle breeze, the hollow stalks clink together, filling the entire grove with music. You sit up in bed and admire this stunning bamboo forest. It is so peaceful, so calm, and it all came from somewhere. According to ancient Japanese legend, it came from Izanagi and Izanami, the mother and father creator of the world, the first two gods that we will be learning about as we embark on this journey together. The world wasn't always a sweet, beautiful land awash with lakes, rivers, streams, mountains, and bamboo forests. In the beginning, there was basically nothing. The Koto Amatsukami were the first group of gods to ever exist. The gods who created the universe and the heavens. Soon after their arrival came Izanagi and Izanami. When they blipped to existence in the universe, it was a beautiful, yet undefined place. In the inky black sea of space, there was matter that was not yet the earth, but had the potential to be. Floating in the cosmos, Izanagi and Izanami looked down at what looked like a swathe of beautiful oil. It swirled and twirled against the blackness, alive with colors unlike either of them had ever seen. It was cerulean, azure, turquoise, 
and cyan, a mosaic of brilliant blues that left both of them breathless and in awe. It floated aimlessly like a jellyfish, making its way through a sea of nothingness. In the bit of earth, the older gods saw potential. They knew what kind of beauty could truly be created from it. And, as a result, they called upon Izanagi and Izanami to shape the earth and make something of it. Following their orders, and excited to see what the future will hold, Izanagi and Izanami did as they were told. Each of them grabbed the gold hilt of a jeweled spear. They took a deep breath in unison and lowered the spear into the watery matter, watching in amazement as it glistened at the mere touch of the spear. They churned the water, moving the spear in wide, powerful circles, and as they moved around and around and around and around, something rather peculiar came to be. The earth started to form. No more was this an aimless jellyfish floating through space. It was a place full of beauty full of wonder, but made entirely of water at the time. When Izanagi and Izanami removed their spear from what had become the earth, a bit of brine dripped from the tip. They watched as it cascaded down until it crashed against the water below and gave form to an island, an island that they named Onogoro. The two gods started descending towards the island of Onogoro from the heavens, and their journey left them breathless with beauty. They sailed down through the sky in a brilliant arc, leaving trails of stardust in their wake. They glided through white, cottony clouds as they broke through the atmosphere and breathed the fresh air of Earth for the first time. That first breath took them by surprise. It smelled of salty ocean water, and rolling hills in the far distance. They could taste the boundless horizon, the promise of this brand new land. When they descended upon the shore, their feet sunk into the sand of the beautiful island. For a moment, they were too surprised to do anything 
but look down at each golden grain in awe. They could feel the warmth of the sand encasing their feet, warmth that had been provided by the sun beaming down on the shore all morning long. But it wasn't just the sand that filled them with a sense of wonder and belonging. It was the mountains that seemed to rise from its edges. The mountains were so tall, they nearly scraped the sky. So tall, their snowy peaks looked like they couldn't possibly be real. They were coated in thick, lush vegetation that filled the air with that fresh scent that they had been relishing since they first arrived. They knew that this was their home. This was their kingdom. So, it only made sense for the two gods to establish their homes here. Using their own hands, they collected wood and bamboo and pulp to make themselves a palace high in the mountains. They worked from sunrise to sunset, taking breaks to marvel at the sunsets and sunrises that painted the landscape in every color imaginable. And soon after, they constructed their home from which they could better enjoy and appreciate the earth, they decided to build a heavenly pillar. As they built the pillar, their minds swam with thoughts of intentions and of love for this brand new world, as well as love for one another. They knew that they were destined to be husband and wife, that they were destined to have the children that would grow and change with this remarkable new earth. And so, that night, the two decided to meet at that pillar. They walked from opposite directions in peaceful silence, listening only to the sounds of crickets and cicadas and ocean waves lapping the shore. And when they met in the middle, they were wet. They continued to rule, and from their union, several islands were created. They gave rise to Awaji, Iyo, Oki, Tsukushi, Iki, Tsushima, Sado, and Yamato. But their love and the children produced from it did not end there. Izanagi and Izanami lived blissfully on the island in their dazzling 
new world for quite some time. They would awaken in the morning in this castle. That time of day, just as dawn was splashing over the land, they would look out their window to see their home shrouded in the early morning mist. Izanagi knew that this was Izanami's favorite time of the day. Because during that time of day, there was nothing nicer to enjoy but each other and the promise of a brand new day, a day that would reveal itself when, and only when, the mist decided to rise from the mountains and show them the beautiful landscape around them. Until then, they would lie in bed in each other's arms and watch the mist out the window as it danced and glistened in the light of the slowly rising sun. They would simply share their thoughts about each other, about their future, their past, about everything. Every morning, Izanagi would hold his beloved wife in his arms. He would run his hands through her hair and pepper her forehead, nose, and cheeks in kisses. He adored her, and she was truly his whole world. Their love was the deepest love the world had ever seen. But as they created more and more deities, a problem arose. The beings that they were creating were powerful, incredible beings, sometimes nearly as powerful as their parents. While giving birth to their son, Kagutsuchi, the god of fire, Izanami was badly burned and passed away in the process. Enraged at the loss of his wife, Izanagi scattered pieces of Kagutsuchi's body across Japan, thus creating volcanoes and other deities. Despite that, Kagutsuchi lived on, and many people prayed to him for protection against fires. Those who were loyal were protected from house fires, which were common at the time. Izanagi lived in the haze of grief for quite some time, but it reached a point where the great god could no longer handle it. He wanted his wife by his side, desperately, and so he decided he was going to get her back. He descended down into the underworld, Yomi, to bring his wife back to the world of the living. He found her in a pitch black room 
and though he desperately wanted to see his beloved, she ordered him not to light a torch. She told him that she would speak to the leaders of Yomi and see if she could return home with him. But Izanagi was impatient to see his wife. In his desperation, he lit a torch, revealing that his wife was nothing but bones. Izanagi fled from the palace, leaving his beloved wife behind. From that point forward, Izanami was the ruler of the underworld, and Izanagi was the ruler of the living. Their happy marriage had ended. Izanagi returned to the real world and walked on the same sand beach that he had arrived on with Izanami all those years ago. He looked up at the stars, mourning the loss of his darling. Since he had interacted with the dead, he had to cleanse himself in the river known as Misogi. Tears stained his vision as he washed his arms, legs, and hands. The cool mountain water did indeed feel purifying, and it left him with a feeling of peace, even though he was missing his wife dearly. As he washed his eyes and nose, something rather peculiar happened. From his tears, the ritual, and the grief, three new deities were created. Three offspring, known as the three precious children, Amaterasu, Susano, and Sukuyomi. The sun goddess, the god of the sea and storms, and the god of the moon, respectively. The three siblings had their fair share of trouble, as many siblings do. But their strife is what shaped the world into the beautiful place that it is today. Amaterasu, being the goddess of the sun, was one of the most important deities to exist. She was the reason that crops grew, that flowers bloomed, that people got to relish the feeling of sunshine on their skin. Without Amaterasu, there would be no sun. And without her brother, Tsukuyomi, there would be no moon. When they became the deities of these two celestial objects, the sun and moon remained out at the same time. Tsukuyomi and Amaterasu 
were close. But one day, Tsukuyomi went down to the earth and had dinner with the goddess Ukemochi. During dinner, Ukemochi accidentally upset Tsukuyomi and wrapped up in his emotions, Tsukuyomi struck her down. Fond of Ikumochi, Amaterasu became furious. She declared that from that moment on, she and her brother would be separated, forming night and day as we know it today. But, Tsukuyomi and Amaterasu were not the only two siblings with a strained relationship. Susano, the youngest of the Divine Three, was a troublemaker. He was expelled from the heavens by his father, and upon his leaving, Amaterasu declared that they should enter a contest so Susano could show his good faith. Each of them took an object from the other and used it to birth gods and goddesses. Amaterasu birthed three women from Susano's sword, and Susano, in turn, birthed five men from her necklace. Amaterasu claimed that the gods were hers because they were born from her necklace and the goddesses were his. She decided that she had won the challenge since his item had produced women instead of men, contrary to what he intended. Susano became enraged after losing this contest. In his anger, he destroyed Amaterasu's rice fields and hurled her heavenly horse into her loom, destroying it. Amaterasu was heartbroken by this and decided to go into hiding in Ama no Iwatu's cave. As she hid, the world was plunged into darkness for several days. None of the gods could convince Amaterasu to come out. That is, until Ame no Uzume came to the cave. Ame no Uzume was one of the most beloved goddesses of all, the goddess of dawn merriment, and meditation. She was a goddess who knew how to have fun, and she intended to lure Amaterasu out with just that. Ame no Uzume hung a mirror just outside the cave. Then, she overturned a tub and began to dance on it in front of all the other deities that had gathered. As she danced, she slipped off her clothes, causing the deities to laugh uproariously. Their laughter interested 
Amaterasu, who called out, asking what was happening. One of the gods replied, A deity greater than you is here. Curious, Amaterasu emerged from the cave and was met with her own reflection. The other gods slid a rock in front of the cave entrance, locking Amaterasu out in the world with them. After some convincing, she agreed to return to the heavens with them. And with her return to the heavens, the sun returned to the skies. Plants were able to flourish once more in the fertile fields. People were able to survive and prosper. But it wasn't just the sun that allowed that. In fact, there were several other gods that were important to that process. Because in the dead of summer, when the plants and grass and trees are sizzling with the heat, and humidity. There's only one God who can calm them. One God who can give everyone exactly what they need. Raijin was the God of thunder and lightning. Raijin lived his life standing atop the clouds, looking down on the earth from a God's eye view. When the humidity rose to just the perfect point, Raijin could begin his work. He started by banging down on taiko drums that surrounded him. The deep, rumbling sound would radiate through the entire kingdom, shaking the earth itself and warning the people of what was to come. He drummed with his three fingers, each of which represented a different point in time. Past, the present, and the future. And then, the lightning would begin. As rain unleashed on the countryside, falling down in big, heavy drops, Lightning would crackle across the sky. Though Raijin sounded intimidating with his drums and looked a bit intimidating, he was nothing more than a mischievous god giving back to the earth. He was a bit of a troublemaker, which made many of the other gods roll their eyes, though they couldn't deny the importance of him, and neither could the people below, who admired the crackles of lightning as they made their way across the sky. Then there is Fujin, the god of the winds. He and Raijin are often depicted together, perhaps because of the playful, mischievous nature of them both. Fujin is depicted as a green god with a wizardly, demonic appearance 
certain personality. He carries a bag over his shoulder, which he uses to make the winds that sweep across the mountains, valleys, and sandy coasts of Japan. Some days, Fujin would sail across Japan on the wind from his bag sending gusts that rattled trees and sent kids' kites flying sky-high. Trickster, just like Raijin, many of the gods looked down on him, though he was the one allowing boats to sail and plants to grow stronger and storms and clouds to move across the sky. Then, there's Inari, one of the most powerful gods in Japan, known as the protector of rice cultivation, merchants, and tradesmen. Inari's depiction varies greatly throughout ancient Japanese texts. Some view him as a wise old man with a long white beard riding through the valleys of Japan on a white fox, while others view him as a young, beautiful woman with long, flowing hair, carrying rice in her hands. But the physical depiction of the god is not what matters. It is what exactly Inari stands for, as the protector of rice, one of the most vital if not the most vital foods of Japan. Inari is important to the survival of all Japanese people. Nearly one-third of the shrines that can be found in Japan today are shrines to Inari, and it's easy to see why. Inari's symbol is that of a fox, a kitsune, viewed as Inari's messenger. The fox would traverse Japan with scrolls held in its mouth, carrying messages across the land. People would watch in awe as the fox zipped by, oftentimes appearing as nothing but a fuzzy and fluffy blur of orange across evergreen landscapes. It moved with such speed and grace that sometimes its paws wouldn't even touch the water as it made its way across babbling brooks and over powerful rivers. But, perhaps, it's Inari's creation that makes them one of the most renowned gods in the Shinto religion. At one point, the beautiful land of Japan found itself in a famine. Crops would not grow, and people were desperate for food. They looked to the heavens, asking for help, asking for anything. And that's when Inari descended from the heavens, riding a stark white fox. Inari carried sheaves of grain 
and rice, providing the people of Japan with enough to survive until the famine ended. In some Japanese texts, Ukimochi is the wife of Inari. She is known as the goddess of food and was famously killed by Tsukuyomi. But what was it that she could have done to upset Tsukuyomi so much that he had the goddess killed? She produced the food for a feast in his honor from her own body as the goddess of food. She was able to create food from her very being. She was able to cough up fresh fish for dinner, to turn herself into a rice paddy, and to create wheat and beans. Tsukuyomi was so shocked by her being able to do this, and viewed it as such an offense that he put an end to her. But a goddess like Ukimochi cannot leave this earth quietly. From her body sprouted fields of millet, rice seeds, wheat, and beans. The food that grew from her could not be destroyed and flourished in the light of the sun. Wanting to give it new life, Tsukuyomi took the seeds and plants and sprinkled them across the land so that they could continue to flourish. The plants came under Inari's jurisdiction, allowing Inari to live with the love of his life for the rest of his life. As you can see, these twelve gods and goddesses that we have learned about tonight have shaped the earth in beautiful, mysterious ways. The Shinto religion is vast, with vibrant stories, and even more vibrant gods and goddesses. Any day, you can visit Japan and find a shrine to these gods. Some of them can be found in big city centers. Others can be found tucked away in the woods, down rocky paths, with shrines surrounded by thick forests full of moss and ferns, you can present offerings there, or perhaps simply ring a bell and be present with the gods in the peace of the forest. If you do visit, be sure to remember the legends of these powerful gods. Remember the gifts they provided to their people and the way they shaped the earth. I hope you've enjoyed this story and it has brought you a night of peaceful, restful sleep. Please join me again tomorrow night for another sleep story. Until then, sweet dreams. <laughs>